0: It's Monday, March 18th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is The Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we are joined by Dr. Jason Sampler, our Georgia State Director. Dr. Sampler will walk us through Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 25.
1: This morning, as we pick back up in Acts, we find ourselves in chapter 12. Remember in Acts 10 and 11, things are going fairly well for the church. Peter has received a vision from God. That the gospel is to spread to the Gentiles, and he preaches repentance to the Roman military official Cornelius, and the entire household professes faith in Jesus. Peter returns to Jerusalem to report what has happened in Antioch, and the church affirms Peter's testimony, saying in Acts 11:18, "...then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life." And the church was growing and sharing all they had with those in need, which brings us to chapter 12. And chapter 12 contains an incredible story told in three parts, a capture, a deliverance, and a judgment. And then it concludes at the end of the chapter with a summary statement of encouragement. So let's look at chapter 12. Verse 1, it says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church he killed james the brother of john with the sword and when he had saw that it pleased the jews he proceeded to arrest peter also this was during the days of unleavened bread and when he had seized him he put him in prison delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the passover to bring him out to the people so peter was kept in prison. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Verse 12. When he realized this, he went into the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of the God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had become, completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So we see again in chapter 12 this story in three parts of Capture deliverance, and judgment, and the story might be a little bit confusing because it starts by introducing this character named Herod, and if you're like me, sometimes if you see the same name over again, you're not exactly sure if we're talking about the same person or not. So in the New Testament, there are six persons with the name Herod, and I wanted to briefly remind you of who each was so that we know who Luke is talking about in Acts 12. The first is Herod the Great, he ruled Judea at the time of Jesus' birth. He's remembered for slaughtering all the male children of Bethlehem. Uh, so this is uh, uh, Herod the Great. Herod Archelaus is the second Herod. He ruled over Judea and Samaria after Herod the Great died. Joseph and Mary feared this Herod so much that when they uh, returned back from Egypt, they settled in Galilee so as to be out from this Herod's rule. The third Herod is Herod Antipas. He was a regional ruler of Galilee, and he's the Herod that has John the Baptizer beheaded because John speaks out against Herod's immoral action of taking his brother Philip's wife um, to be his wife. Herod Agrippa I is the grandson of Herod the Great. He also takes the name of King Herod. He was a corrupt leader that was imprisoned in Rome for a while in his younger years. But after his release, he became friends with a man named Caligula, who later went on to become emperor of all of Rome. And uh, once Caligula was made emperor, Herod Agrippa was, was named ruler over the Transjordan and the Ten Cities, or the Decapolis and Galilee. And then when a new emperor came to power, Claudius, Uh, Herod was given even more uh, reign over the region. He was given rulership over Judea and Samaria. And so he was uh, literally king of the Jews now, ruling all of Judea and Samaria and Galilee and the Transjordan. This is the Herod that we're dealing with in Acts chapter 12. The next Herod is Herod Agrippa II. He was the last of the Herodians to rule over Palestine. Uh, This is the the, uh, Herod. That Paul speaks to in Acts chapter 26 when, uh, when, he- when Paul is witnessing to Herod. And, uh, and Paul says, um, or, or uh, uh, Herod asks, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul says, whether short or long, I would to God that I know not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. And Agrippa II finds no fault in Paul and would have released him, but Paul had appealed to Caesar. So Herod Agrippa II has to send Paul on to Rome. And then the, the sixth Herod is Herod Philip, who's mentioned in Mark chapter 6, only as Philip. This is Herod Antipas's uh, brother. And So the story begins with Herod Agrippa I. And what you need to know about Herod Agrippa I is that his rule Over uh, The Jews was uh, politically unstable. His friendship with Emperor Caligula had its downside because Caligula was not a very uh, popular emperor. And so in order to shore up his position as king over the Palestine, Agrippa worked hard to win over the Jews, which meant keeping happy the two major power groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So we see in verse one, Agrippa, quote, laid violent hands on some who belong to the church. Verse 2 gives us better insight into this phrase, laid violent hands. It means he had them killed. That is, that persecution has come back against the church in Jerusalem. Remember, we saw persecution uh, comes to the church first in chapter 7 with the martyrdom of Stephen, and then it spreads out into various other areas of Palestine. And we see this same Kind of persecution again in chapter 12. There is more than one James mentioned in the New Testament, and Luke is helpful in verse 2, identifying this as James, the brother of John. Or if you remember in Mark chapter 3, uh, when Jesus um, has called these two brothers, James and John, to follow him, he calls them the sons of thunder. And Luke says that James is killed by the sword. And in and, and, and Roman uh, uh, authority, they had no qualms about beheading people, but beheading a person was against Jewish custom since it desecrates the body. And because Agrippa is trying his hardest to please the Jews, it's very unlikely that James would have been beheaded. More likely, uh, he would have been stabbed or impaled with a sword and then died of blood loss and organ damage. And so when Herod Agrippa, sees that killing one of the the head apostles is pleasing to the Jewish leaders, he has Peter arrested as well. And the idea is that he's going to make Peter a martyr also. Um, And so in essence, Herod is trying to destroy the church by destroying its top leaders. James first, Peter second, and John is likely to have been third. But Herod has a problem he has Peter arrested just after Passover, which is the holiest day in the in the Jewish calendar. And right after Passover comes the seven days called the days of unleavened bread, when Jews eat unleavened bread for seven days. And so Herod can't execute Peter in the middle of this religious holiday. And so, in order to please the Jewish crowd, uh, Herod is going to to uh, proceed in his killing of Peter. As soon as the feast of unleavened bread has concluded, and Herod doesn't want anything to go wrong with his plan, so he treats Peter like public enemy number one. We see in verse four, according to the translation of the NIV, that that uh, that that four squads of four soldiers each are assigned to Peter. That is, four groups of four soldiers rotate around the clock to guard him. Here we have this meager. A Palestinian fisherman, turned preacher, needs sixteen soldiers assigned to him to make sure that he doesn't escape before Herod can execute him. And what's the reaction by the church when they see their leader on track for execution? The Bible says they prayed. And it's not just a regular old Mamby Pamsy prayer. The word Luke uses here in the in the original language of the New Testament is very rare. In fact, it's only used two times in all of the New Testament, ektaknos, which means earnest or fervent or intently. The other usage, coincidentally, is in First Peter one twenty-two. Ektaknos comes from a verb that means to stretch out to the max, as if there's no slack, that you're fully extended. And that's how Luke describes the prayers of the church on behalf of Peter, stretched out. With nothing held back, they knew he was on his way to meet the same fate that James had recently met, and they were passionate in their intercession. And notice what we see in verse 6, that the timeline has come to the 11th hour. It's the last night of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Herod will bring Peter out the next morning for his execution. Everyone knew what Herod was planning, and there was Peter fast asleep. Now that's confidence in God. It reminds me of the Old Testament story of Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, or you might remember their names as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who when asked to renounce God or to be thrown in the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3, responded this way, quote, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That is gospel confidence, my friends, believing that God is worth more than avoiding physical pain or death. And so here is Peter on his last night Peter is asleep between two guards, and an angel comes to wake him up. And notice how solidly Peter is asleep. A great light appears in his cell, but that doesn't wake Peter up. And the text says that an angel has to strike Peter on the side to wake him up. This is how I sleep, real soundly. There are many nights when one of our kids wakes up in the middle of the night crying, and I don't hear a thing, and my wife has to basically punch me in the ribs to get me to wake up and check on them. And here is the same story with Peter. An angel essentially kicks him in the side in order to wake him up. And Peter is so groggy that he doesn't have any idea what's going on. The angel has to instruct him all along. Like when you wake up one of your kids extra early in the morning and you've got to get them dressed in order to go on a long road trip. You you say things like, no, put on your shirt. No, put it on over your head and now put on your pants. No, take that leg out and put it back in the right way and put your socks on. No, put them on your feet, not your hands. Now put on your shoes. Can't you just picture this in your mind? The angel having to bark out orders and Peter, the greatest preacher that the church has seen thus far, is acting like a four-year-old. He doesn't have a clue what's going on and the angel is having to instruct him. In how to even get dressed. Verse 9 says that this seems so unreal to Peter, he thinks it's a vision, which if you think think about it, that's not very far-fetched. Just two chapters before in, in Acts 10, Peter is at Simon the Tanner's house, and God shows him a vision. So Peter thinks this is another vision from God. And the angel leads Peter past multiple guards, through a locked gate, and out onto the streets of Jerusalem as a free man. And it's only after Peter is out of prison that he realizes that God was at work to deliver him. His rescue wasn't of his own doing, but specifically God's work in his life to liberate him. Verse 12 shifts the scene to the house of Mary, who is the mother of John Mark, who will play a larger role later on in Acts. And we see both the passion and the lack of faith as the church prays for Peter. I imagine it went something like this. They're praying, passionately praying, and there's a knock at the door. And, and in their prayer, uh, they don't want to be disturbed by this knocking because they're interceding. Remember, uh, uh, it's it's the middle of the night, and so they're having an all-night prayer meeting for Peter. Plus, based on the verbiage in verse 7, they are stretched out and engaged and passionate about their prayer. And so nobody wants to get up or, or, or take a break from this prayer meeting to answer the door. So, the least of them, a little servant girl, goes to answer. And she recognizes Peter's voice. And in her excitement, she forgets to open the door. She leaves him outside to tell everyone that Peter has come. And, and while their prayers are passionate, if we're, if we're paying attention, it seems like their prayers are also faithless. They're petitioning on Peter's behalf. Presumably, in part at least for his deliverance, God delivers him, and those that are praying for Peter don't believe that he's been delivered. They think Rhoda has maybe seen his ghost, which in Jewish terms means that Peter has been killed. Instead of seeing his angel, people today might say, you've seen his ghost, but it's it's Peter in his flesh. He's alive and safe, and those who have been praying for Peter, the text says We're amazed. And Peter concludes this section in verse 17 by testifying to those that are gathered in prayer for him, quote, how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Notice how he gives God credit. He doesn't talk about how he's like Jack Bauer or like MacGyver and how he breaks himself out. Only God could deliver him. And as the story transitions in verse 18 and 19, We see a very sad picture. The morning comes, the guards wake up. Peter is nowhere to be found. And Roman law says that if a prisoner escapes, the guard uh, who, who loses the prisoner is to receive the punishment that was due the escapee. And this is how we know that Peter was to be killed because his guards get his punishment. They are killed instead. And this helps us a little bit to understand better Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi. The earth quakes. Uh, 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 the, the chains are broken. The jailer presumes that the prisoners have escaped. So he prepares to kill himself because he knows that's what's going to happen to him. And Paul speaks up to inform him that, that all the prisoners are still in jail. And so uh, we we understand the, the cultural idea of, of the jailer receiving the punishment. Of the escaped prisoners, the final scene of Acts twelve begins in verse nineteen. And here we need a little bit of help from outside sources to understand the situation. See, there's an economic struggle between Herod Agrippa, who's the king of the region, and the coastal area of Tyre and Sidon. The coastal area is dependent upon the interior countryside for food, and despite whatever political differences, the, the the residents of Tyre and Sidon know that they need Herod's support in order to eat, and so uh, Luke, Luke the writer of Acts, kind of uh, skips a little bit in in the historical narrative. Uh, we we know from other uh, outside writings that about a year has passed um, from the the time of the feast of unleavened bread until this this story beginning in verse um, in verse nineteen, um, but Herod travels to uh, Caesarea, which is a major city, to celebrate some games in honor of the Caesar. And the Jewish historian Josephus writes about 50 years after the event, and he tells us that on the second day of the festivities, Herod uh, uh, shows up that morning in an all-silver robe that sparkles in the morning sun. And for just a minute, I want to read to you Uh, from uh, uh, Josephus's Antiquities of the Jews. Josephus says, On the second day of the festival, uh, 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 Herod shows up in a garment made wholly of silver and on a contexture truly wonderful and came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the flesh I'm sorry, by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone out after a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. And presently, his flatterers cried out one from one place and another from another that he was a God. And they added, be thou merciful to us for although we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man yet shall we henceforth henceforth own thee as superior to moral, mortal nature josephus says upon this the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery that is because of the the, the shining of the rays on his on his gown the people began to flatter him and call him more than just a human, but also a God. The Bible says in Acts 12, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Luke concludes chapter 12 with eight beautiful words in verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Death doesn't hold back God's word. Despots can't contain the spread of the church. Disease or famine or persecution doesn't negate the power of the church. God's love for his church is immeasurable. And so as we look back over chapter 12, I want to bring out four points of application that might uh, uh, encourage you and guide you this week. Number one. Nothing is ever too late for God. Remember at the beginning of the of the passage, it was the night before Peter's execution. He was delivered on the last night possible. And I want to encourage you, friends, don't ever give up believing that God can work a miracle. Sometimes it's when we have no options left that we finally fall back on God and he makes a way for us. And so nothing is ever too late for God to move. Secondly, God's sovereignty doesn't make sense sometimes. We don't know why God let James be executed but chose to deliver Peter. We don't know why some get cancer and some beat cancer. We don't know why some adoptions uh, fall through and others are approved. But we know that our God is good. There's a a worship group, uh, a band called Indelible Grace. They have a song that I really love, and I wanted to read uh, a few, uh, uh, one verse from one of their songs. It says Whatever my God ordains is right, holy his will abideth. I will be still whatever he does, and follow wherever he guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me that I shall not fall. Wherefore to him. I leave it all. We're not called to understand God's sovereignty. We're simply called to follow God as he leads. The third point of application is this. Prayer is the means by which God ordains some of his actions. I think a lot of Christians misunderstand the value and the purpose of prayer. Some will say, well, if God is sovereign, then he's going to do whatever he wants regardless of my prayer, and I don't have to pray or I don't need to pray because it doesn't matter. This is a false understanding. God in his sovereignty has designated means by which he accomplishes his will. For instance, in salvation, God has ordered that proclamation or or witnessing is the means by which people will be saved. Remember uh, Romans ten. 14 and 15, when Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Just as proclamation is the means by which people hear and follow Jesus, prayer is oftentimes the means by which God works in the world to accomplish his mission. And so as the church was praying at Mary's house, God was working a miracle. And the and the the, the next point of application is this be careful in all things to give God the glory. Luke is very clear to to, to point this picture, paint this picture between uh, the way uh, uh, Peter reacts and the way uh, Herod Agrippa reacts when uh, when when people begin uh to to talk about how their lives are playing out in Herod's death, uh, according to Luke, it is because he did not give God the glory. Now you can't control how other people act, but you can control how you react so let's be truthful here and remember that when we when we are at work or when we are sharing the gospel. Or when we are parenting our children and good things happen, um, it's not ultimately our uh, a result of our work. It's because God has has worked through us to uh, to bring about a good result. And so uh, when when Herod is uh, accused or or exalted to be a god, he does not he does not reject it. He, he implicitly takes on this, this uh, praise and glory, but when contrast that with Peter, when they ask him and talk about his deliverance, he is very quick to give, uh, to give God the glory. And then the last point of application is this, the state will never overcome the church. The state has many more physical resources than the church, but it does not have the inexhaustible power of God at its disposal. Nor does the state have the promise of perpetuity. Nations come and go, but the church will last until Jesus returns. One of my favorite theologians, John Stott, wrote on this chapter, Acts 12, quote, At the beginning of the chapter, Herod is on the rampage, arresting and persecuting church leaders, and at the end he himself is struck down and dies. The chapter opens with James dead, Peter in prison, and Herod triumphing. It closes with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing.
0: Amen. Well, thanks, Dr. Sampler. And this week, we are praying for the country of Liberia. We are praying for the president of Liberia and others that lead in the government We're praying for the church in Liberia, that churches would have purity of doctrine and godly leaders would be raised up within the church to lead her, to make the gospel known through Liberia. We're praying for our ministry partner, REAP, and our partner that trains and equips older orphans with life and job skills. We're praising the Lord for REAP's founder, Christine Norman, who just recently finished chemo treatments and uh, is recovering from those. We are praying for opportunities that the Lord has given REAP to be a part of some unadopted programs helping young women with HIV in Liberia. And we're praying for the upcoming REAP camp in April of this year. We're praying for Destiny Nuon, uh, our Partner on the ground who pastors his church, Life Changer Assembly, that he would preach well and preach sound doctrine from the pulpit. We're praying for the process of forming a new NGO to support the work of Orphanage Directors Network, and that that will go smoothly, and that the Lord will use the NGO to open up new opportunities for ministry. We're praying for orphanage directors that Destiny has the opportunity to minister to as they seek to love and provide for the children in their care. And we're praising the Lord for the children that are being impacted by the REAP camps and the life skills training. And we're praising the Lord for those who are faithfully serving orphans throughout Liberia. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to work with REAP and with Destiny and with Life Changer Assembly Church in Liberia. We just ask that you would bless that partnership for your glory, for your honor, to reach many with your name and many with your gospel. We praise you for the work that's being done through REAP and through the uh, Orphanage Directors Network And for those children that are being reached, we pray that you would continue to be with our team as we form this NGO in Liberia, that that the formation would go well and that it would be used for your glory and your gospel. We're praying for the leaders of Liberia, for the president and for her cabinet and for others that are serving in Liberia. We just ask that you would go before this government and use it for your glory, We pray that you would strengthen the church, that the church would be one that would preach sound doctrine, and that godly leaders would be raised up from the church. And Lord, we just continue to pray for our sister, Christine Norman, who is REAP's founder, uh, that she would continue to be healthy and strengthened after she has finished this chemo treatment. Lord, we know that not only do you have Christine, but you have all the orphans, the many, many, many thousands of orphans in Liberia in your hand. And we pray that you would receive much glory and much honor through the way we serve in Liberia. It's in your name we pray, in the name of Jesus, Amen. Well, don't forget to rate us if you use a podcast app such as the iTunes uh, podcasting store, would you just go on and rate the podcast? Let us know what you think and then know that you can always email us at info at and let us know of future topics you'd like to hear on the podcast or, or things that you like about the podcast or things you'd love to see us change about the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So please rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app as well as let us know what you're thinking at info at Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information